This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're hoping to talk to David Locke here in this segment, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We'll get his thoughts on uh, Jazz playing on Christmas Day, what's going on with the team, rest of the NBA. Do you think the Jazz are done for the rest of the offseason? Yes. I would agree with that. We're not that far away. That's the weird thing about it. Oh, open gym is in less than a month. Yeah, and uh, camp opens shortly thereafter. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. We'll have, I bet we'll have media day middle of September, maybe like September 20th, something like that. They haven't announced, but that would be my guess. And the season commences mid, mid-October? October 4th is 4th. the first preseason okay. game in San Antonio. Yeah. Or, you know, when the, when the sports calendar ramps up to that point where you have college football going on, you got the NFL going on, and you got basketball, I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. No, the fall, the the fall is it's my favorite time. I, I I don't know. You don't get kind of the late regular season NBA action. That's the downfall. A lot of people say March, you know, because you get the March Madness, yeah. and then the NBA is kind of coming down the stretch. But I do like the the football basketball overlap. Well, with football being as popular as it is in this country, it really is the the heavy gorilla. All right, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about watering consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. Just a little addendum to that. They're perfect for days like today because you can manage turning on your water when actually it rains for the first nice. time in, in yeah. several months but just throwing that out there all right his appearance on the show is brought to you each and every week by our friends at the murdoch auto group he's the radio voice of the utah jazz he's our good friend david Locke. what's up david not much did you guys see the axios article today on the most watched tv shows of 2021 i did not but i'm guessing they're all football they're like all football it's really like it's an interesting concept, right? Because if you watch local news, they've all decided that, like, ask David James, oh, you get 90 seconds. Yet there's nothing in the world that brings you together like sports. Yep. There's nothing that gets watched more than sports. So it's a really interesting contrast when I see these, you know, places that will feel like, oh, well, there's really no place for sports in this. Like, really? Like, why? Like, how is that possible? But it's, it's if you look it up, it was in Kendall Baker's newsletter today. Um, they do a great job, and um, and it, it was the top 20, like 14 of them were NFL, four or five of them were um, Olympics, and uh, Oprah talking to those European folks, those Great Britain <laughs> folks, what are they, Prince Henry and whatever, Meghan Markle, whatever, Harry. yeah, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, whatever those people are. I don't know. I'm just a dumb jock. I don't know who those people are. David, you're hardly a dumb jock, but let me ask you, as I know you have uh, turned into, you've turned your expertise to basketball, but as an observer of sports overall, 
Why do you think football is so darn popular in this country? Because it's really, really easy to gamble on. It's always been my take. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually as accurate as I think. I was actually in some research recently um, with a group that I got to keep confidential about gambling and the amount of people that gamble and the percentage. Um, and it wasn't as high as I thought, so now I'm kind of wondering on that. Um, the other one I would say is until they screwed it up a little recently, it was it's really easy to follow. So for the most part, you're asking someone to give three hours of their time once a week, 18 times a year, you know, 16 times a year. And... The other thing is, from a season ticket standpoint, though I don't think this drives the audience numbers, but I do think it impacts viewership in the sense if you can go to a game, I think you're more likely to watch it. Um, you know, being a season t- ticket, 41 games a year, 44 by the time you're 40, pretty expensive venture. Like, even if it's just a, you know, if it's a $100, $400 seats, and I can't do that math because I'm, but I mean, I think that $400, that's like $16,000, right? If I'm doing my math right. $400 seats for eight games is $3,200. Like, that's a really big difference. And they'll get you for the preseason. So then it's 4000 but we're talking like 14 versus four. Like, that's it's a really much easier. And then if you're just going to a game, you get the whole tailgate and the whole experience, and it's worth it. So it's a much more affordable sport actually touch in person and therefore I think increases viewership as well. So I think between gambling, ease of watching, i.e. it's also on a non-work time, um, and uh, the ability to go. I've I've always thought that the NBA, if I owned an NBA franchise, the first thing I would do, um, Clay Jensen, if he's listening, will laugh. Chris Barney will laugh, and Jim Olson will call me up and request my departure from the organization. Um, I would take a lower bowl section and sell them only as night of game sales um, and probably at a set number. Maybe it's 100, maybe it's 150, like not cheap, but so that if a family of four wanted to spend $400 on a big night or it, even not big night. Like, oh, we're going to go watch the Memphis Grizzlies. We're going to show up an hour and a half before. We're going to buy our day of game t- tickets. And then those four go to the game and sit in the lower bowl and really feel the game. I, I think that's an experience that creates a fan long term. And I think the NBA's problem is it's too hard to have access to that experience. By the way, just so you know, I really thought it out. It's sponsored by Ford. And they're paying the difference in their sponsorship to the money the team loses for their revenue. So I just want to point out that, like, crazy guy not just only taking away revenue from the team here. Because, you know, I know they got to pay Bowler Jack's salary. Might I just add to the football thing real quick just to run this by you, David? I think football is also tailor-made for television. The pace of it, allowing for the replay, allowing for the commentary, fitting in commercials. I think it's, you know, I don't think baseball is a really good TV sport. I think hockey is awful. I think basketball is pretty good, but I think football was just randomly. I think it was just perfect for TV. You know what's so interesting about it? 
is how we think it's so action packed and it's like not. there's almost no there's almost no action in football. Yep. Like it's really like it used to be incredible to me before like Chip Kelly and everyone screwed up the game and made everyone play fast and my 30-second fast-forward button doesn't work anymore. I used to watch NFL games in an hour by just hitting the 30-second fast-forward button every single play when it was over, and I would be, like, there to the next play every time, and I could get through a game in, like, 45 minutes. There's really not a lot of action and actual play time in an NFL game. David, which sport, since we're on this subject, which sport do you find most fascinating when you break the whole thing down and you consider strategy and action like you were talking about and uh, overall appeal? Which which, uh, which sport stands up the best? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think, like, baseball is too slow, but the actual, like, moment I think is pretty interesting if you have – different players on and shifting and moving. And I actually think the analytics kind of in that standpoint made some of it more interesting. It's, I understand it's ruined the entertainment value, but it's made it more interesting. Um, you know, the stoppage of action of football in the sense that now you just have 11, like one-on-one matchups are really kind of 10 one-on-one matchups. And then somebody spying the quarterback makes that a pretty interesting, easy thing to analyze in the sense that there's one play to look at. Um, frankly, the fluidity of hockey to me is kind of the most amazing thing in sports. Like, I don't understand it great, but we went to a game once in Washington, D.C. and sat behind, oh, it was in Boston, watched the Capitals against the Bruins, and sat behind the net in a suite, and you could see them actually run plays. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So, um, you know, and obviously, you know, I mean, I'm in the bag for basketball. I don't need to tell you that. David Locke is uh, with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, let's switch to basketball. I uh, I read through CBS's grading of the offseason, which I, I don't even know why I, I read those things because I find most of their conclusions ludicrous. But it did raise this question in my mind. Who do you think out of the playoff teams, you know, teams that we expect to be pretty good, who had the worst offseason? Who didn't do enough or who was hurt? Well, I think the teams that had the worst offseason actually had the worst end of season, right? So Denver just, with the Jamal Murray injury, is going to linger into the offseason. I think, so, you know, that's just too bad. And Kawhi Leonard injury at the end of the postseason. I think those are the two things that impact, at least we're talking, if we're talking Western Conference. I mean, nobody's had a worse offseason in Philadelphia, and we'll see how it comes to a conclusion just with all the Ben Simmons. I mean, that was just a mess, right? That was just, you know, I mean, nobody – there are very few franchises who have ever had a worse 48 hours, um, including the Utah Jazz after COVID, um, than the Philadelphia 76ers when Ben Simmons bypassed the dunk, Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers threw him under the bus in their front. I've never seen a player be annihilated by their teammates the way Ben Simmons was in that post-game press conference and by a head coach. Never, ever, ever seen it. So, they, they had the worst offseason before offseason started. From a Western Conference standpoint, I just feel like they're – I mean, I guess the Warriors had a good offseason. Everyone's, like, trying to say. I mean, I saw a highlight of Kaminga the other day, and it's like, holy smoke. So maybe they've, like – but, I, like, is anyone – like, 
if I'm doing over-under wins on everyone in the Western Conference, I don't have a team in the Western Conference who I would put as over their win total from a year ago right now. Hmm. Do you? No. Maybe the, maybe the Pelicans because Valanchunas is better than Steven Adams. Okay. I could buy into that. But uh, even that's not significant, right? Shouldn't be. They still don't have spacing for Zion. They still, you know, still have all sorts of problems, right? They lost Lonzo Ball, so that's, doesn't, that's not going to help you. They've lost Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball in the last year. Like that, I'm sorry. I, I missed something. I wouldn't really suggest doing that. David, uh, Jake makes fun of me because I look at what the Wizard in Vegas is predicting as far as the odds go for various awards and whatnot, and I always bring that up, even though I don't bet on sports. I like it. Donovan Mitchell, 40-1 to 1 odds to win the MVP, and uh, Devin Booker, 22-1 to 1 odds. Why is that? Well, neither is likely to happen, so both of them are probably sucker bets. Um, you know, um, I mean, I guess the feeling is Devin Booker. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have a good answer. Sorry. I'm not going to, I could make something up, but I'd bore everyone to death. So let's just, instead of me making something, let's move to the next one. Cause I don't have a good answer for that. Well, I mean, Jared Butler is 40 to one for rookie of the year. And I, I just think, which is more likely, Jared Butler being Rookie of the Year, Donovan Mitchell being MVP? I don't know. I, I don't know how these things are said. Yeah, that's weird because I don't know that Jared Butler's in our rotation to start the year. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. But you're also comparing Jared Butler to other rookies, which is a real open wild card. Who knows who's going to play well, right? right. When you're when you're handicapping Donovan Mitchell, you're talking about the biggest superstars in the NBA. So I yeah. I don't right. I honestly don't think it's comparable. Right, exactly. Well, Rudy Gobert is the favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year. No big shock there. But then Sixth Man of the Year, the favorite I'll, I'll is Joe, Joe Ingles and then followed by Jordan Clarkson. So that's interesting. I would not vote for – I would not bet on uh, Rudy Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year if I was a gambler under any circumstance. One, because the odds are bad, and two, because the media votes, and the media is going to get bored of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which happens all the time, as we've seen with uh, right. With like he's yeah. he's won it. He's won it. What you know, three of the last four years. They, like they've they've voted for him. So like I think Draymond or those kind of guys are going to make a are going to make the impact. You know, or someone someone else is winning that award coming up. So, David, what bit of information would you pass along to hungry jazz fans out there that would would plant in them the greatest amount of optimism for this coming season? I think, you know, I think the two teams that I think will be most improved in the uh, in the Western Conference are Phoenix and Utah. And that's because their best players other still have – Room to go, room to get better. So, for example, um, you know, Devin Booker is going to be a better player having had that experience at this age in his career. Mikel Bridges is going to be better. DeAndre Ayton's going to be a lot better than he was to you know this last year. Like he, those were major developmental stages in their in his career. So, I think Donovan Mitchell will get better than he was. 
Um, I think Rudy Gobert could get a tiny bit better than he was. And those two teams also have continuity for the, on their key spots. So, you know, I think when you're looking at the West, because nobody made any moves dramatically, I then look at, okay, well, what players in the West can be, you know, impactfully better than they were a year ago? So Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, Donovan Mitchell, maybe Rudy Gobert. He's a little bit on the wrong side. Zion Williamson will be better. I don't like. I don't know if anybody in the Warriors is going to be noticeably better. I'm not sold on Wiseman yet. I, I don't. The Clippers don't have a young player. Who I think is going to get better. The Lakers don't. Lakers certainly don't have a young player anywhere on the whole roster. Um, so when I look at that, like I don't like Steph's not getting better. Draymond's not getting better. Clay's not getting better. Like, you know, who who in the like I look at it at that stage, right? We love rookies. They're terrible. Like <laughs> rookies are terrible. They never help you win. Like, come on, stop. Like like go back through the final eight teams of the NBA last year and how many first and second year players made an impact? Unfortunately, like Terrence Mann is like the only one. So like, what – like, if you look at the playoff teams, like, did Dallas – Luka's going to get better. Like, Luka's going to be a little bit better. Like, that's a problem on Christmas night. Yahoo! Fired up for that, by the way. <laughs> if you were going to roll a pessimism hand grenade across the floor at Jazz fans, where would you go for that one? 35, 33, 32, 32. You talk about ages? Have to be old to win. So it's a catch twenty two. You don't win young. It's hard to hard to hard to maintain yourself when you're old. David Locke is. But if, you got two, but if you got two young guns, you better old, better surround them with old guys. That's how you win. David Locke is with us, ninety-seven five and twelve into the zone. Uh, David, when I asked you the the bad off-season question earlier, I was not really fishing, but it, what comes to my mind is is the Trailblazers, and they didn't flip C.J. McCollum. In fact, they really did pretty much nothing, and the Damian Lillard drama seems to have subsided. But you know, for how long? So I guess my question is, do you? Why haven't they moved C.J. McCollum? Is, is that is do they think that they can run it back and it's going to work better? I thought that was one piece we'd see moved for sure. I don't have it in front of me, but my feeling um, is I, my memory is they were the number one offense in all of the NBA after they got Norm Powell. I really thought they were going to make a run in the playoffs. I I, I thought my data showed me on Portland after they got Norm Powell after they got Nurkic back. I had them going to the conference finals. I thought they were going to beat Denver, beat Phoenix. Um, so I, I think they might be better than people realize. Um, their offense was really great. Nurkic is pretty good defensively. Um, I, I do think a side note in this league that I'm not hearing many people talk about is the amount of first-year no head coaching experience coaches. I think the Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, Mike Malone, Frank Vogels, Tyrone Lewis of the world are going to torch these coaches. Like, I think you're going to see early in the season coaches just with, with no idea. It's hard to be an NBA coach when they've never been a head coach. Um, it's super hard for them to handle. David, do you like what the Heat did? Uh, Kyle Lowry... 
What else? Resigning Jimmy Butler. Yeah. They added Tyler Hero. Yeah, and there was something. Yeah, they just. Great, I mean, they have just a great culture. So, you know, I always like moves where you're really absent at a position, like you aren't. Like so, in other words, like their point guard play last year was bad, right? So, I, I, I refer to it as the Kwame Brown Pau Gasol trade. The Lakers went, like, from the worst power forward in all of the NBA to one of the better ones, and then they won a title. Like, the point guard play in Miami last year was pretty awful. So Kyle Lowry, despite being 34, is a significant upgrade in that regard. Um, He is 34, though, so part of me is just not – like, I don't think they got better than – Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or Philadelphia, Philadelphia doesn't sell. Philadelphia's a mess. But Philadelphia's been a mess for the last four years from everything I've heard, and they keep winning, so maybe they'll get through it. David, I know you study these things, so I'm interested in your opinion. Who, Which uh, personnel, which general manager in the NBA do you do you look at as, as a real smart dude? That's an interesting question. Um, I do think Lawrence Frank's done a lot of really good things in L.A. for the Clippers. Like, I really, like, like he's done a really lot of good things. Um, the Morris trade gave, seemed like gave up a lot, but then really didn't. So there's things like that. Um, I'd have to think about that. Can I come back on that one? Like, yeah. I mean, Daryl Morey does a good job on trades. He's done a good job. So, um, yeah, I don't have a great answer on that. I mean, Dennis did a heck of a good job for us. We've, we've done a good job over the years. Uh, Tim Conley in Denver has been nails. Though I didn't like the Aaron Gordon trade. I didn't like – I don't mind Aaron Gordon. I didn't love the – like, for all these guys he had over the years and was ready to make this big move, that that was the move. Like, I feel like he should have been able to get – a bigger piece and make him a championship team, but maybe we'll find that, you know, it's hard to tell with Jamal Murray, but Tim Conley's done a really nice job. David, thank you very much. As always, we appreciate you dropping by. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you soon. See you, buddy. It's our friend David Locke. His appearance on the show brought to you by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. When did you say that uh, the open uh, open court uh, thing starts? Uh, I'm not sure, actually, but it's probably middle of the way through September. It's next month, early next month. And the the preseason starts the first week of October. October 4th. That's it's coming up. That's going to be here inside of two snaps of the fingers. Did he mention Bob Myers, his GM? I don't think so. Got to put him there. The coup he pulled off for Kevin Durant alone should have him at the top of the heap. I even know that's a couple of years ago and still. You know, uh, he mentioned uh, Denver. When you think of all the players they've had their hands on over the past, the really, really good players, <laughs> and some of which they allowed to get shipped off to uh, to Utah. But think about the great players that have come through their realm. It's pretty amazing. I don't think you can count Rudy and Donovan amongst them, though, because no? they never drafted them. They drafted them both for the Jazz. It's not right. like they should get credit for drafting them. They didn't really draft them. If anything, <laughs> okay. they drafted Trey Lyles. Jokic was a pretty good idea. 
Jokic was a great pick. Mm-hmm. Yep, he was a great pick, and they deserve a lot of credit for developing. And they let Nurkic go in order to uh, yep. sort of highlight. Right, uh, Denver's Jokic. done some done some good. Jamal Murray, I think he's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I I think Denver's kind of overrated as a team. They're still good. I'm not going to discount their GM. You've always, always been down on them. I've always I, I've always kind of thought Daryl Morey was overrated. David uh, included him. Well, Defin- I know he's I, not real popular in China. I definitely think uh, David Griffin is overrated. Well, he was he, overrated in Cleveland, and he's overrated now. But everybody talks about him like he's going to, you know, this I is know. Such like a he's great some sort thing of genius. in New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. How did Hiron Stan Van Gundy go? Not according to plan. No. No. And, uh, well, no, we don't need to go that road with David Griffin. But, you know, he claimed that he was going to get this big haul for Anthony Davis, and then he got the exact same thing he was offered <laughs> like they were offered before. Yeah. There are some there – are some, there are really good general managers out there, and there are definitely some that are not so good. See, Jake, I think you would make a good general manager. However, I am a little concerned about the math skills side of it. Well, yeah, I'm not a math guy. I don't think I'd make a good general manager. Don't you? Uh-uh. From an evaluation standpoint? Because I think that's something that fans think about. You know, you hear a lot of names tossed around in trade possibilities and whatnot because fans do put themselves in those shoes and say, hey, how about we get this guy? How about we get that guy? You know, and it's it's complicated. It really is. Any deal in the NBA is complicated. And to throw over that, the whole idea that no general manager wants to look like an idiot. I mean, that's kind of the number one uh, deal with every personnel guy. I do not want to be made to look stupid. And so what do they do? They get more conservative. Yes, they do. And it makes them way more risk adverse and then all of a sudden it's about protecting your job instead (laughs) of maybe doing the right thing but then again being aggressive we've seen that sink the ship too so there's no i you know if my fantasy football league is any indication i'd be way too conservative like i'm way too skeptical of everybody trying to take advantage of me takes the guy (laughs) you are suspicious sort i am you're the guy that would be saying you know, some of the best deals you ever make are the ones you don't make. Somebody offered me a trade, be like, all right, what's his problem? Yeah, he just, you're he just, automatically. Yeah, what, what, what happened to that guy? Something must be wrong. Right. Sometimes there's just better fits in different places. Yeah, maybe so. And uh, I would guess the, the judgment it takes to, to balance the risk, right? The risk-reward factor. I mean, there, there have certainly been moves the Jazz have made or not made over the years that I've disagreed with or agreed with uh, more so. I like, I still, for the life of me, can't understand why in the last year there's contracts the Jazz did not trade Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap. I yeah. still don't get that because they said they were going to make one more run at it. And what, the eighth seed to get yeah, trounced? Exactly. You know, that, that, yeah. that never made any sort of sense to me, you know? I hear you. But then again, like... Uh, I don't. I don't know Re- the uh, moves that I really agreed with. I mean, there have been certainly some moves over the years where you go, okay, well that that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, as far as drafting goes, I know you love the Trey Lyles pick. No, not particularly. But I don't uh, hold Devin Booker over their head every <laughs> minute because the outcome turned out better for not drafting Devin Booker. <laughs> okay, all right. I just thought I'd bring that up. I always really like the move Kevin O'Connor made to get to trade up to draft Aaron Williams. 
And you can make the Darren Williams, Chris Paul argument all you want, but the point is, is that Kevin O'Connor put himself in the position to make that. Remember, after that year, they had such a people forget about this. They had such a bad year. Yeah, the they, year they were rewarded. Well, they were rewarded with the sixth pick that year. Yeah, then they had to get up to. Do you three. remember Kevin O'Connor? The look on his face when they drew the sixth pick. It was not particularly happy. Oh, there was stink face on national TV. <laughs> I just remember the look. I'll never forget the look on his face where it was like, there's a dude who was not pleased with how the balls uh, just came out of the hopper. That was unlucky. It really yeah. was. But then he made a really nice move where he traded basically nothing to get up to number three to put himself in the position to make the pick of the point guard that he wanted. Pick Darren. I, I definitely, he didn't have the career Chris Paul has had, certainly, but... It, that that was a really good pick for the Utah Jazz for many years. Don't for, forget the genius move to go up to get Trey Burke. That was Dennis Lindsay, and that really was only moving up to nine, so it was a little bit less less significant, I I would say. Look, you win some, you lose some. You do, but it it, it would be an interesting. It'd be interesting to go into the, well, what are we risking? Like in the Darren Williams move, for example, they, they risked nothing to move up to number three. They traded a couple of also-ran players and a couple of picks. I mean, it was, we'd have to go back and, and look into exactly what, but it was nothing consequential. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot of risk there. But, I mean, you, you trade for Mike Conley a couple of years ago or, a, it, you know, an aging point guard. There was some risk there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's all there's risk and reward in so everything. So how do you so how do you balance it? Yeah. That's the key. All right, stay tuned. We're over. We're live at the warehouse, eighteen twenty five South, three hundred West. We'll have more coming up next. Ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone.